in each of the stages of the value chain, we need to be socially concerned, economically feasible, and environmentally friendly. And the social dimension is about people. At least respect human lives. That would make sense in this biggest industry that we need for you know, supporting the climate of our planet. Greetings, my good humans, and welcome to Lefteris Ask Science, edition number 26. I am Lefteris, that annoying guy that calls academics and scientists and asks them questions until I understand what, how, and why they do what they do. This week, we're talking with Dr. Gaylord Butto, an engineer working in environmental sustainability. In this edition of the show, we answer questions like, what is the most sustainable way to produce energy? How can we talk to people about green initiatives? And lastly, what are the complexities in producing and using different ways of energy production? This is the first episode where I took questions from you and used them in order to understand better the work of Dr. Butto. After all, this podcast exists for you, and it's very interesting for me to see what are the things that you would want to find out in each interview. If you want to be part of the discussion, head over on Facebook and find the group Lefteris Asks Science and join in. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Lefteris underscore asks. Lastly, I have a weekly newsletter where I share my favorite news from the world of science and academia. I have small explanations and link to the research for anyone who wants to find out more. If you like that, go to the show notes and click that link to subscribe. Lastly, in the show notes, you'll find links that you can support me in doing this by donating. Let's now meet Dr. Gaylord Butto. My name is Gaylord. I'm a researcher, uh, actually working for Norsus, which is a Norwegian company. And I do my research in sustainability mostly, uh, trying to put numbers behind the environmental performance of uh, products, systems, and services. So try to quantify everything and give a meaning in terms of the environment. That's what I do on a daily basis. The work we talked about with Dr. Butto had to do with a study he did for his PhD, where he compared the environmental impact of three different types of trucks. A diesel truck, an electric truck, and a hydrogen-powered truck. But he didn't only compare them in terms of fuel consumption. Dr. Butto tried to see the environmental impact of the trucks from their cradle to their grave. And to go to the easiest question we can go here, is there one truck to rule them all? Very difficult question, uh, because the question would never have one answer. <laughs> As things are, uh, at least uh, the way things are presented in the paper or the way people can see them. What I can say here is that you can see some of um, some of the vehicles performing better in some conditions than others. And that does not mean that the others are not performing better. But if there is a clear thing to say here, the fossil one is to be dropped. Doing this comparison sounds simple enough, but there are many things that Dr. Butto needed to consider in order to arrive to useful conclusions. I compared uh, initially a fossil truck. So the trucks, uh, let's start with that, they have same capabilities technically, so they weigh 12 tons, both of them, and then they have same power, so they are delivering the same type of, let's say, a technological services, power, where are they going? And um, you have one truck which is powered with uh, 
fossil fuels, so diesel, and you have another truck which is powered fully by electricity, and then you have a third truck which is powered fully by hydrogen. And then the combination here are that diesel is diesel. You have them. You take them at the diesel station. So we kept it one single uh, truck with one single fuel, which is diesel. But when it comes to electricity and hydrogen, we took a lot of combination there. So you, have, you may have electricity for different sources. And you may have hydrogen also from different sources. So in this paper, we look at more than, let's say, 14 sources for hydrogen and seven sources for electricity. And uh, we tried to approach things under the Norwegian co- conditions. Using the case study and the environmental conditions of Norway, Dr. Butto tried to create models that would be useful for any situation. However, he mentioned there are more one ways to get electricity and power your car. What are some ways that you can get electricity or hydrogen? The battery is, is the equipment to store electricity in the car and then to power the car later on. But the electricity can may come from different sources. The electricity may come from fossil sources. And when I say that we try to approach things under the Norwegian condition, it's because you have more than 90% of electricity in Norway coming from hydro dams, which means hydroelectric uh, power that you use in yours, which is maybe the cleanest you can find in the world. Electricity may also come from wind, you know, as a source. It may also come from PV solar or from natural gas or things like that. And in this paper, we, ex- we investigated seven different sources of electricity, including the European mix uh, electricity in, in the calculation. And then we investigated for hydrogen production also s- several paths. You have hydrogen, which is produced from, let's say, fossil sources. You, you use fossil to produce hydrogen. Also, you can use clean, cleaner sources to produce hydrogen. So, and when you produce hydrogen, you may use also electricity in the production path of hydrogen. And here we use the two main production path of hydrogen, which is uh, SMR, uh, uh, which is about you, you take methane, you do the reforming of methane, and then you get hydrogen. And methane can come from a variability, like many different sources. And then we use it, hydrogen also produced from electrolytic processes. So water electrolysis. And when you want to electrolyze water, you need electricity. And that electricity may come from different sources as well. So we considered all those alternatives in our analysis. Dr. Butto, for his study, had three different trucks with around 20 different types of power generation. In order to fairly compare these trucks, the tests needed to be fair and the same. It is quite difficult and much more time-consuming to do real-world tests for these types of situations. So, the case study that Dr. Butter did is simulate. But in order to make sure that the simulations are correct, you need to make sure that the data you're inputting and exporting are meaningful. From the real world, when you, you, you're doing such a test and, and you're basing yourself on the alignments, uh, what you need is to have an equipped vehicle, vehicle equipped with a GPS, and the possibility to record some of the elements of uh, the vehicle performance. So you need the equipment to tell you what is the speed of the vehicle, the acceleration of the vehicle, what was the, com- the temperature outside. And uh, every time that you are on the road, you also need the vehicle to record the true, uh, let's say, road component information. 
right? It may be the, the path of the lane, it may be uh, the, the gradient of the road or the slope and things like that. So when you have them in reality and you have georeferenced data, so each position is kind of dotted and recorded, and to each position you are attaching a certain behavior of the vehicle, speed, acceleration, and so on. With those data, you can extract and you can extract the pattern of the vehicle and then compare them with what you are trying to simulate. So it is possible to have a, a real speed profile compared to the simulated speed profile. A real speed full fuel consumption compared to the simulated fuel consumption. A real energy demand compared to the simulated energy demand. Sometimes real emissions compared to the simulated real emissions. So you need to have fully equipped vehicle to record those parameters to provide you with this information that you can compare with the simulated one. When you are doing a, a life cycle assessment and you, you're considering the vehicle throughout its entire value chain, and when we say from cradle to grave, we mean everything is there. So maintenance is part of that life cycle and maintenance was taken into account for each vehicle under specific conditions. You don't maintain a fossil vehicle the way you do with an electric car. So you took the maintenance, you took the maintenance uh, cycle according to the performance of the vehicle and the, the existing standards, and they were included for the entire life cycle of the vehicle. In order to do all the work that Dr. Buto did in his PhD, he also needed a lot of data from truck manufacturers themselves. But getting that data isn't that simple. I just want people, when they read this paper, uh, to understand that this, this is actually the result uh, that we got uh, going through the process uh, and the method that we put in place in the paper. If there is something that is really uh, 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 good to point out here is that uh, when you talk to, when you're doing LCA, you need, you need data. And uh, in order for you to get data, you have to have them from those who, who are producing either the component that you are using or the system that you are trying to describe. What we faced here developing uh, uh, in, in this research was that we were dealing with trucks and trucks manufacturer would never release their data to you. <laughs> They will never do that. And, and I, I wish that there will be a policy in place so that we become much more transparent in what we are doing. And in such a way, we will really try to measure correctly and to improve what we are actually measuring. To conduct this research, we had to build our own life cycle inventory as if we were car manufacturers or truck manufacturers. And we did it in the most traditional way possible to achieve clarity, transparency, and consistency for the three vehicles that you are seeing here. This paper is just a starting point. Many people will come up with many good ideas in the future, and maybe the industry will come and join us, giving us access to the data, of course, ensuring them confidentiality. We're not gonna share their data with their competitors. But we need access to primary data to make our world better. It is not just about saying it, but we have to do it. So how did you, if you, if, if you might, like, how did you get your raw data then? We developed the data. 
we we did a lot of literature search. We did a lot of interviews. We did a lot of uh, calculations, teacher engineering, mass balance, logical stuff here to see does it hold or not. So it took really, really time to end up with what I could say, the bill of material of a truck, hydrogen truck, electrical truck, or fossil truck. There was a huge, huge amount of activities done there. It took us a lot of time, and we are there, and the results are there. We, we, are, we are very open if they are shocked or if they see that the results are not what they are expecting. They can come to us, but in that time, they need to share the data with us so that we make it better. <laughs> he mentioned that out of all the vehicles tested in this work, the fossil fuel vehicle is the one that needs to go. But is it as simple as that? After all, each vehicle pollutes one way or another. How much do electrical or hydrogen vehicles pollute? Yeah, um, when you, you read the conclusion of the paper, it's, it's, it comes out that the electrical vehicle was performing uh, extremely better <laughs> than the hydrogen one, which is a little bit frustrating for hydrogen uh, uh, advocators, if I can say, because people are, uh, are talking about hydrogen, talking about new energy sources, and we all want to, you know, phase out fossil fuels and then move towards a cleaner, proper, and climate-friendly uh, uh, strategy, let's say, or, or, or let's say path for our climates. Hydrogen is, uh, is uh, a very good solution. When you, you look at it, and when I used to discuss with students or with practitioners of many people, they used to say, you know, you don't pollute when you use hydrogen in the car. You, you know, you don't pollute when you use electricity in the, in the car as well. So it means I'm not releasing nothing. Everything is okay. <laughs> and, and we are quite clean. While when you use diesel, you are polluting. The approach we use it in this paper, and for the first time, was to include the production path itself and show when a vehicle is, is traveling on the road, not just show that there will be no pollution because you're using hydrogen, but because the hydrogen that you put into your car was produced, there is a certain amount of pollution that you are carrying, let's say virtually with your car, which in reality is not polluting. So we included that in our analysis. That's why you can see some discrepancies or some variabilities with a negative connotation to the performance of hydrogen. Hydrogen is mostly produced today from fossil resources. And in that regard, it's a little bit hard for me to advocate for hydrogen when the source of hydrogen itself is not clean. But hydrogen is for sure a potential candidate for phasing out fossil fuel for a better climate and a better planet. So what I would say here is that the results shown here, considered hydrogen fruit of the entire life cycle, the production pipe of hydrogen is heavily analyzed in this paper. Why? For the electric car, things like electrical charging station were not included. And as we know, the weight of emissions or the weight of environmental burden of those components are less than 5 to 10%. So they would not really change the result that much. It still means that electrical trucks are performing better. Are we going to have many better ways of producing hydrogen in the future? Maybe we'll see the trend that hydrogen will outweigh electricity or electrical trucks. But for the moment, this is the picture we have. And I think this picture is quite representative for all over the world. So 
we see that how hydrogen or electricity is produced plays a big role on the environmental impact of the vehicle. Dr. Budo's case study was in Norway. 98% of Norway's electricity production comes from renewable energy sources, so it might make more sense for them to transition to electric vehicles. But for countries like Singapore, where most of the electricity is generated through fossil fuels, does it make as much sense? In order to answer that question, um, one would consider analyzing the system, the entire system, and say, okay, when we charge the vehicle, uh, what do we release in terms of emissions, right? Yeah, when we charge them overnight, we take, let's say, the fleet of vehicles in Singapore, and then you give them a sector factor, and then you give them a certain amount of electricity that they draw every night, and you normalize it throughout the year, and then you know the quantity of emission that is induced by the charging activity of those vehicles. And then you compare it with... Uh, the same fleet using diesel now, okay? And then um, if you end up having less or significantly less differences between electricity and diesel, then it doesn't really matter to move to, uh, to electricity. But then the question is, will Singapore remain fossil-rooted electricity in the future? Or are they considering moving towards cleaner sources of electricity? And if they do, definitely they also have to move streets to cleaner vehicles. That's the, the answer to that question. In my life, I've had discussions with people trying to explain to them why adopting environmentally friendly practices at an individual level is very important for the future of our species. Many times, people would argue that most of the pollution comes from big corporations and our small contributions is exactly that, too small to make a difference. While I can't really argue against that, I have a big problem with the statement because it kind of stops the discussion there, and it's a very important discussion to have. Since I was lucky enough to discuss this with Dr. Buto, I asked how does he have discussions like that as a more educated person in the field? It's, it's not an easy discussion to have. It, it takes a certain level of education for people to understand what we are trying to convey as the message to them. And it is not always, uh, let's say, uh, <laughs> the safest discussion to have with people, especially when they are aware of, of who is polluting more and, and, and they have maybe to pollute in order for them to survive. And I'm taking it into my own context. I was born... I, 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 I mean, I grew up in a country and I was born in a country where uh, things uh, would be hard compared to where we are today. And if you still ask me if they still have to keep doing things the way they are doing, uh, the question may be uh, uh, clear and the answer may be shocking. I will say yes. If they have to survive, they have to do it because they need to survive and to live. So you don't have to go and tell them, you know, change your way of doing things by the time they don't have food. And they cannot even help themselves. So with, with people in that community, if you have to discuss and bring them to the, the level of understanding that they can still do things and make things better, that would be hard. But but here is my, my, my opinion, is that anyone can do something for the planet. Just take yourself and consider yourself being part of this system, of this planet. And then you don't want this planet to collapse. And we have few things that can we do to try to save the life of the planet. 
And those things are into your hands. Just do them. Try to do them and we can see with those small steps, we can still make a difference. And then advocate more so that we could have a policy in place that will try to put a little bit more pressure to those polluting more to try to adjust themselves to the policy so that they can get down in the level of pollution they themselves. Decoupling technology is not easy. Asking a bigger, a big manufacturing to just change from fossil to clean energy sources in one day would be easy to say, but very difficult to achieve. So they need time. That's why we're talking about transition for them. We don't need transition. We as human beings, we do have a brain, we understand things, and we can take the actions now. So let us start and they will follow. This is what I would tell them. The analysis that Dr. Buto has done makes it seem like the electric vehicles are the solution to many problems. But I was wondering, what are the problems to the electric vehicles? And many of the problems are not just because science isn't there yet, but policy is a big part of it. First of all, uh, I mean, the, the, the result from the analysis make, <laughs> makes it seem like electric vehicle is the solution, and, and, and it is not actually the solution by itself. Uh, the way you produce the electric vehicle uh, would, be, would be something that you have to look at. If you produce the electric vehicle based on uh, material that are heavily polluting, then in the production phase of the electric vehicle, you, you're going to pollute, pollute more. And if you pollute way more because you are just asking or we are just asking to get electric vehicles, we will demand it more and more and we will keep, we will keep polluting more and more. So that may not sound like the solution. When you put them in use, of course, they perform better. And then we can see some indicators uh, indicating that they are maybe the solution uh, uh, for this problem or at least one solution for this problem. Uh, why people are not adopting it uh, massively? Uh, yes, uh, money may be the problem. Money? Do they have money to afford it? Is it economically viable for people to just, you know, let their car? I bought my fossil car yesterday and today you're presenting me an electric car. What do I have to do with my fossil car? Do you have policy in place to get my car and give me an electric one? Is that going to exchange the, the car that I had before to an electric one? Do I really need to go? That may be the question. How far can I go with my electric vehicle? If I'm choosing a path in Greece where I don't know if I will find a charger, do, do you still think that I will use my electric car to travel in places where there is no charging stations? So there are some some drawbacks with the electric vehicle being used, actually. Money can be one of them. The availability of the facilities that can you know, accompany the process of adopting the car can be one of them. And the possibility of uh, the policy uh, uh, being adapted so that it can really help people move towards electric vehicle. By the time they still have young age fossil vehicles on hands, is also something that needs to be studied, to, to name a few. What are the drawbacks for electric vehicle? <laughs> there are so many drawbacks with electric vehicles when it comes to their operations and, and, and uh, maybe the way they are uh, uh, put in the market today. But I will, I will take you to another terrain now, a terrain where maybe not so many people are talking about. And this is the terrain that I like to see people engaging in discussion. Do you know that electric vehicles use a lot of cobalt? 
for, for the battery. And do you know that 55%, if not more, uh, of cobalt reserves are located somewhere in Africa? And do you know that people today are dying? Yeah, they are in war. They cannot afford to live just because they end up being born in a location where they have some mineral resources. War after war, death after death. Some people are naming like 6 million or 12 million people dying every day in the Democratic Republic of Congo because of things that we all know, even though they are presented differently in the news. This, for me, by itself, is taking these markets far away from what it is supposed to do, saving the climate. Saving the climate of a, the planet without saving human lives is just wrong by itself. And I will stop there for electric cars and all the other things that are related to that. In each of the stages of the value chain, we need to be socially concerned, economically feasible, and environmentally friendly. And the social dimension is about people. At least respect human lives. That would make sense in this biggest industry that we need for you know, supporting the climate of our planet. Those last 20 seconds might be the most important seconds of this podcast. And Dr. Buto gave me a point of view that I was not familiar with and something that definitely needs to be discussed a lot more since science and education should aim to make people's lives better but not at the expenses of anybody else. Dr. Buto's work for his PhD was not disconnected from other research in the same field of Norway. It is a good example to show how different works are pieces of a bigger puzzle. My PhD uh, dealt with uh, modeling uh, the road uh, tracé, the alignment, in such a way that when you use that road, by no means you're going to produce more, you're going to pollute more. So that was the idea. My PhD put in place, uh, paved the way for, for future road constructions. One, they will be building the roads infrastructure and they choose an alignment using my model. They will make sure that no alignment in the world will lead to more pollution. <laughs> so to say, I'm laughing. I mean, it will return, the alignment will return to you the least pollution possible, the least energy demand possible. Of course, when they will be designing the road, they will need to, to look for environmental-friendly materials. Yeah, and they will need maybe to bring, you know, I don't know, electrical machinery on site so that they don't pollute. And then they have to be very picky, very careful how those electrical machinery produce it. Where did they come from? <laughs> and and with, with which energy sources and material were used if they want to go greener? But, but when the infrastructure is there and then they choose the alignment, that alignment, if you take your car, if you take your truck, if you take, I don't know, whatever vehicle you use, you use that alignment, you will demand less energy and you will release less pollution than any other alignment. That was my contribution. And that's it for another edition of Lefteris Ask Science. I'd like to thank Dr. Buto for his time and his unique view on this topic of sustainability. 
And thank you for staying until the end of this podcast. And of course, thank you for some questions that you asked for in our Facebook group. I'd like to especially thank Michael, Eldie, Kim, and Adi. If you want to find out more about the future episodes and ask questions to the academics, head over on Facebook and look for Lefteris Ask Science. Another easy way you can support me is by just sharing this episode with a friend. I really, really appreciate it. Until we meet again, take care, keep learning, and be kind.